Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Faithful Reasoning Podcast with Candace Kyles. Welcome back to another episode of the Faithful Reasoning Podcast. I am here with one of my favorite people, Alexandria Bobbitt, comma MDiv. Say hi, Alex. Hey, everyone. <laughs> and today we're going to be conversing about scripture, one of my favorite topics. Mm-hmm. Um, more specifically, the space um, that scripture holds in the life of a Christian, of a believer. And I think we're going to dive into some juicy topics. Yeah. And I think it's so relevant right now, especially because of what's happening in our country and like how we're seeing um, Christian nationalists take over. Unpack Christian nationalists. Um, (laughs) You're going to have to help me unpack it. But like people who are Christian but that's so conflated with being American, which causes them to fight for um, political power that helps them to sustain their privilege and their power that they've had um, in this country. And even going back to a place of nostalgia where they are those people who are wanting to make America great again. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. Which essentially is they're weaponizing Jesus, whether that be a historically accurate depiction of Jesus or the one that they've made up, but they're weaponizing the character of Jesus and scripture Hmm. in order to move forward their agenda, their selfish agenda and all of the ambitions that come with that. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, which was why I wanted to talk about it. I mean, like I said earlier, scripture is, um, a favorite topic of mine because I think it anchors our faith in such a way where it creates, hmm. um, I don't want to use the word boundary because I don't want to, I don't want to limit or insinuate that scripture is like a rule book. However, our ideas about who God is and how he relates to us, those ideas um, or our ideas are shaped by scripture. Yeah. So that's why I love talking about it so much. Um because it shapes what what I would call the Christian world or at least it should shape our Christian worldview. And yeah. so to your point, the relevancy of the discussion I think transcends um times and mm-hmm. of course the times that we're living in right now they're quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love how you were talking about um, the the way that scripture shapes the worldview because it shapes the worldview. It shapes the culture. It shapes the memory. It shapes even um, in certain services, maybe even the movement, like all of those different things that make us who we are. And even when I think back to like to Jesus and like the first hearers of um, of the Old Testament, like they were not sitting in isolation reading their Bibles like they were collectively hearing together together. Yes. And like that did something for them as a community. It was a communal moment to hear the word of God. And by way of hearing it then their interpretation and how they lived it out. So I would assume, and you can 
um, correct me if I'm wrong, you are then saying that our hermeneutic or, you know, that's a fancy word for interpretation, Mm -hmm. how we interpret scripture then should be done in community and not solely in isolation. Yes, absolutely. Like we are not, we are not equipped to do that Mm. on our own. Like we're not. And I think even, even not in isolation um, from the Holy Spirit, like we don't read the Bible without the spirit leading us and guiding us and illuminating things to us. Like, I think that sometimes we, and even what we were talking about earlier with the Wesleyan quadrilateral, it's like, you know, like these different aspects of the Mm -hmm. faith, like experience, scripture, reason, tradition, but like, None of them are separate. Like none of yeah. it's no there's no silo. Yeah. Like all of it is happening together. And, and it's the spirit that does that work of working it all together. And so I think that the but yeah, the communal hermeneutic like has to be there because there is no way there's no way for like this multifaceted God mm-hmm. and like this God who is so much bigger than we are. And like this God who, um, who created all of us in his image, like for us to read and feel like, oh, what we're getting is the only thing. I mean, I read one scripture one day and see one thing <laughs> and then read it the next day and see something else. So I know that like scripture is always, it's always speaking. Like it's, it's a, it's a living, breathing, mm-hmm. um, like document like the yeah. word it's alive so it's not evolving but we are yeah and the way that the spirit is speaking through it gotcha. is di- like and i feel like that's why you know how we were talking about earlier it remains relevant in every generation because the spirit is always speaking and moving and doing something new i agree i have no pushback i think i'm 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 thinking about again contextualizing it especially present day where you have folks storming the Capitol Hmm. and we see in news clips and video clips of, you know, flags, Jesus saves. So they're reading the same Bible that we're reading. So how then, how then do we as believers, I don't even want to use the word unify because that's so loaded, but how how did they arrive at their interpretation and how how did that interpretation drive them to live out their faith in such a way where it drove them drove them to do that hmm. versus other christians doing other other things and then obviously broadening the conversation outside of you know, politics and what's happening in our country present day. But how how are we all reading the same text and coming up with different um, interpretations? Or how are some Christians picking and choosing what they want yeah. and what they, you know, what they accept as authoritative and what they don't accept? Or are they even looking at the text as authoritative, like, are they allowing uh, their tradition or their experience to anchor their theology and not scripture? Hmm. So many questions. Yeah, that was a lot. (laughs) Sorry. But I think what you said was um, the one thing that really stood out to me was like, how are they arriving there? Honestly, 
I feel like they already there. Like, and they help, like they they bring your scripture along with them. Oh, so they're like driving. where they're already at. And gotcha. I think that there's like um reductive reasoning and inductive reasoning and or deductive, something. Yeah. yeah, deductive, yes. Um, and so it's like, are you allowing are you allowing the the like the the text to read you and mm -hmm. for the spirit to speak to you? Or are you already putting your ideas and like your expectations and um, your even like your desires on the word already? So are you like just pulling the, the word along or are you allowing yourself to be in conversation with, with the word? And or being led by yes. the word. Yes. And again, to your point, not allowing the word or or not allowing yourself to lead the word in in, in your lived out experience. Yeah. So I'm gonna ask you, what grounds your theology? And let me attempt to preface it for the audience that's listening. Um, you and I are both, or were seminarians, mm -hmm. two completely different contexts. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> um, and while our church experience, like and how we were raised and brought up is pretty similar again that seminary experience was mm -hmm. vastly different so i'm going to ask what is your what grounds your theology yeah that is such a good question <laughs> um well i i think that for me my my theology is grounded in the word of god okay like it's grounded in the word of God, but there's so much, as you've mentioned to me before, there's so much that goes into that. Like that's with that, because like these surface level readings of the word will not have us to have a theology strong enough, expansive enough to even be able to withhold like the complexities of our lives. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, grounded in the word of God, but it has to be able uh, I have to be able to, there has to be some weight to it. Like there has to be some weight to it. And I think that like going to seminary, as you mentioned, like we went to very different, like you went to more conservative mm -hmm. institution. I went to a more pro um, progressive institution, if that's even how we can, <laughs> right. can talk about it. Yeah. Um, but like going to seminary, I realized like, okay, I am right now, I am studying the Bible as a text, like I am looking at it as a historical document, mm -hmm. but that did not mean that God was not still speaking to me through that. Like Correct. that thing got good to me when we were doing that exegetical work. And when we were, when I was like, you know, doing the research about the different places and about the people, the first hearers, like who was this written to? Like one of the best things that I learned in seminary was that the Bible is for us, but it was not written to us. We were not the, first audience. We were not the first audience. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important to like do that work and to allow like God to like speak through that because I think that that helps us to like be expansive about it. It's just it's not like oh well, you know, like the the Bible says turn the other cheek. <laughs> it's like okay, but what is the context exactly. in which Jesus is saying this, and like, what does he mean? Like, right. what are these people hearing? Um, and that so is I not think, a license for someone to abuse you. Yeah, yeah. But reading deeply into to your point, like, I mean, and we we're taught this context is king. Mm -hmm. So who's writing? Who's listening? What is the environment surrounding the, you know, these words, mm -hmm. this text? 
and taking into consideration that environment, the times like we, and I think I mentioned this before, we have got to stop reading our 21st century experience hmm. into yeah. this ancient text. Like yeah. we, we can't like, it's, I mean, imagine Moses trying to explain what the internet is. Like we can't, <laughs> like, like you just, you can't read the internet into Mm-hmm. the Bible. And there's so much about the Bible that because we are in the 21st century and like, and we're not in a rural right. place like that, we just don't even understand. Like we don't understand. Like somebody, somebody else would be like, Oh, okay, cool. Or wow. Or like, but st- we're missing out on so much of what the Bible has to say So much because we're not doing like, we're not doing like the, I guess it's co-switching or like some, we're not doing the translative work that we need to do to help ourselves understand like what they were really saying. Because like that, that surface level, like, okay, cool. Like that's, that's the rule or like, that's what I need to live by. Like there's so much more for us in the Bible than that. So when I think about my theology being like, like um, anchored or grounded in scripture, it's, it's all of that, not just in the words themselves, but in the in the depth of what it was that like God was communicating about himself, first and foremost, um, and then about us. Yeah, <laughs> I I shared this with you when we were chatting uh, offline. I was on social media and someone had posted a like I think they were doing like a virtual Bible study or whatever. And the title of their video was the Bible is clear colon and they named the topic. And I chuckled because I'm like, well, actually regarding that topic, the Bible isn't clear. Um, but, but that's that surface level reading yeah. that you just uh, referenced where it's just like you read this verse and not only is it a surface level reading, but you've also hijacked and extracted this verse in this passage yeah. and you've created an entire doctrine around it Ooh! and it's Jesus. it's it's wildly problematic and furthermore we wonder why um i would liken it to trying to put you know a a, a round shaped object in a square shaped hole hmm. we wonder why it's not working where you well you're misappropriating this text and you are now shaping other people's worldviews and they're now trying to apply these principles and they aren't working, but it's because you've, and you said this earlier, I'm going to take the word flimsy. You've created this flimsy doctrine based off of bad hermeneutic uh, uh, practices. And we're wondering why our churches and even individually why our theology is so flimsy flimsy yeah and this is just making me think about how you um often talk about loving god with our minds right love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind um and strength and how it's just so interesting to me that it seems like church is a place often or like just faith conversations is a place where it's like there's no room for that or like people just shut off. Like, I don't know what's up with that. Yeah, I mean, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, I also think that in the black tradition, we have to give 
a bit of, I guess, grace when we consider our experience in America being the descendants of slaves. And we think about how the gospel that was presented to our ancestors that were enslaved was perverted, right? Mm. Um, And it was marred by, I mean, sin, but by, again, selfish ambition. A lot of what we mentioned earlier in the episode that we're seeing Mm -hmm. play out now, present day in 2021. But anyway, Mm -hmm. um, we have to give some grace for that too, or yeah, we have to give grace in that what they were handed, what they were given didn't leave a lot of room for thinking hmm. because this was handed to them. This is hmm. a tradition and a and a faith that was given to them by their slave masters. And so maybe, I mean, I'm not saying that this is the case, but maybe this is what has trickled down through our families and subsequently our churches where there isn't room and space to think and to inquire and to ask questions and even create spaces where people feel comfortable enough to ask questions and push back Hmm. or even in your personal devotion question god Hmm. yeah and it's just making me think though because and at the same time what they were handed was not what they received because i think that that is one of the biggest apologetics for me as a black christian yeah. Like to this whole like a white man's religion. Yeah. I'm like, no, it wasn't the same at all. It wasn't the same. And like they were able they were able to even like put on their critical, you know, thinking caps and be like, wait a second. Like this is not <laughs> this is not congruent with who God is. Yeah. With what the rest of this says, like there's something going on. And that's why there was slave church, slave religion, slave Bible. Um, sl- yes. Like. The, the canon was different, you know, like there Very was a so. lot of different things going on because they were they were more critical about their faith because they insisted on living. Yeah. And like insisted on a God who who was like who was for their flourishing. And so it just makes me think, too, like that 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 is like that is a, um, a legacy of our faith as black Christians, like to be critical thinkers. Yes. To be those who are like engaged um, with our reality, like Christianity, if it does not speak like powerfully to our reality, to our real lived circumstances, what is it for? Ooh. Like, what is it for? Yeah. Like, yes, as we said earlier, those words were not we were not the first intended audiences of the of the of the words written in the Bible. But like the spirit is still speaking through those words to right. get to us today in our present circumstances. And so it makes me just think like that there's this sense of like just like wonder and curiosity and um, even just awe with who God is, because I think that they or at least I mean, of course, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> like in my mind, I'm thinking of my ancestors, like um, my enslaved ancestors being able to be like, wow, like this is who God is. Yeah. That liberating force. I mean, and we know yes. that he's not a force, but how that how his character um, executed in such a way where I mean, he is today, but even for them, he was a liberator. Yeah. And 
they had examples of that all throughout the Old Testament where Yahweh consistently, I mean, was liberating Israel. Mm -hmm. And to your point, well, this isn't the same. This isn't the same. uh, This isn't congruent with what we're seeing in the text and our reality. So something's missing. Mm -hmm. And I, I loved how you how you just eloquently put it like our or their curiosity pushed them, drove them to seek out answers that obviously were being withheld intentionally, but they recognized immediately that what was being expressed in scripture was not what was being communicated to them. Mm -hmm. And it caused them to go a bit deeper. Mm -hmm. And I think that like going deeper is also scary. It is. Like it's scary because like when you, I feel like who, when you really start going like deep into the word of God, like you start to see things differently. Like yeah. you start to, like you even start to feel things different. Like it just, it changes so much um, and it's uncomfortable. And I, I, and I've talked with you about this before, but even just like being able to be free, mm-hmm. like having freedom and not just having rules. Yeah. Because God actually wants a relationship with me. He doesn't want me to be a robot. Yeah. Like God actually would prefer that I choose him. Yeah. Then be forced. forced. Yes. <laughs> then being forced. And so yeah. for my little perfectionist heart, it's just like, wait, can you just tell me the rules? Can you just give me the can you just give me the formula <laughs> that I need to do the things that you're telling me to do so that I can get the results that I want? Treating God like a genie and a taskmaster. Yeah. And treating myself like God just wants me to be um to be some kind of yeah like I said like robot yeah and not the person that I am that he wants a relationship with and so not seeing and I think that that goal our view of God also impacts our view of scripture oh yeah. where it's like okay if I'm seeing God as taskmaster and genie and like you know God that is trying to catch me up then I'm reading my bible just like looking for looking for answers, looking for the let's be clear or the Bible is clear about this. <laughs> right. So like this is the answer. This is the only answer. Yeah. And this is what um, and this is what you're supposed to do in every situation, not giving any room for like that deeper transformation that really can take place um, through the word of God. Yeah, I when you were when when you were just talking about the whole. Um, he's not just a taskmaster, not just a rule maker, and he wants a relationship like I, of course, talk about my mom. But I remember growing up, we lived, um, I was about to say we lived on a city block because, of course, <laughs> we did because I grew up in Chicago. But anyway, I was thinking about the actual block that we lived on. And I don't know, I could have been eight or nine and I had a bike and we lived kind of in the middle of the block. And so I had a boundary. I couldn't go past this super big tree that was, you know, a few houses down. And then at the north of the block, I couldn't go north of the corner. Hmm. And I recognized then, because she explained it to me, that while this is a rule, this is also for your protection. But I didn't look at my mother as a rule maker. Hmm. I looked at her as my protector. So her protection in that instance was her creating a boundary. 
but her protection in other instances was actually giving me freedom Mm -hmm. to do and to express and to be. And so I think to your point, God is the same way. Sometimes his protection is boundaries. Hey, don't do that. But again, it's, 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 it's the intent. But in other instances, his protection is going to look vastly different. But to your point, if I'm looking at him solely as a rule maker, I'm only going to see the rules and the boundaries in the text. I'm not going to see the love. I'm not going to see the protection. I'm not going to see the grace. I'm not going to see the dignity that he provides me as being his image bearer. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to see any of that. I'm just going to see the rules mm-hmm. and all of the things that I can't do. <laughs> and I am going to look at the Bible as a rule book. Yeah. And if we reduce it to a rule book, who would want to read it? Who would want to engage? And I mean, how would curiosity and wonder uh, be adjectives that we would use to describe or should describe our approach if we're only looking at it as a bunch of uh, tasks to check off and a list of things that we can engage in? Yeah. So what do you want the listeners of this episode to take away from our conversation? Mm. I think more than anything, I want to be clear that I'm not saying that the answer to the Christian life and scripture in our lives should be um, deep exegetical work. Everybody has to go to seminary and study this um, in this specific way in order for us to be faithful. Um, I'm not saying that. However, I do believe that the like deep study of the word of God and even just like looking up words in the dictionary and Googling some things that you don't understand and like just like really engaging our minds in our reading of scripture that it only enriches like the the it gives the Holy Spirit more to work with and more to work through and more ways to minister to us. Um in those in our devotional times and in those times where we're like really engaging with scripture and then on the other hand of that like i feel like we can't really experience the transformational power of the word of god unless we give it time Mm -hmm. unless we give it time to like really settle within us um to confront us to um yeah time to wonder time to be curious, time to meditate on the word of God. I remember one time I was reading um, the end of Romans 8 and every time I read it, like I remember feeling like a, like a piece of the wall around my heart, like that was keeping the love of God from hitting it, <laughs> was like breaking down so that even more of God's love could get in. And like scripture does that. It's not just an academic exercise. It's not Facts. just something that we need to like read over once and mark it off of our to-do list. Like it's something that really does transform our hearts. Like his word is life. And I think that when we don't um, when we don't like give the word time, when we don't spend time with the word like that, we miss out on some really great parts of God. Um, And that like, I mean, we miss out on really great parts of community too. like doing that with community. One of my favorite things during um, quarantine 
was getting together with other young adults over Zoom. And we just like read the Bible. <laughs> like we read, like we, I mean, and we mark it up. Like there's this yeah. annotate function on Zoom. It's really cool. But we mark it up like, and make sure that we're like just seeing everything. And I feel like that is the, like that is the picture to me of a communal hermeneutic yeah. like happening. It's like, what are you seeing? Oh, like, what is God saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit highlighting for you in this moment? Like that can contribute and be a word for all of us. Cause I'm not going to see what you see and you're not exactly. going to see what I see. And, but together we more fully are able to see God. And so I think that, um, that's what I really, long for like people to just like get to delight in the word of God yeah, and to like fall in love with the word of God. Yeah. It's, I mean, and it's lovable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember my first semester in seminary, I took an old Testament uh, course and I don't know, maybe halfway through the class, it wasn't even our final paper. Um, my professor had us to write a 15 page paper on the book of Habakkuk, which is only three chapters. And again, first semester seminarian, we were all like in that class freaking out. Like I think he could see the glaze over our eyes when he explained the assignment. And I remember when he, he like closed his Bible and closed his book at the podium and he stood in front of us you know, like a gracious father. And he was like, look, I'm just asking you to walk through the field of Habakkuk and bring me back a bouquet. Mm. And like the weight lifted because in that moment, at least for me, I can't speak for my peers, but I'm like, okay, this three chapter book is a field. And these 15 pages are a mere bouquet that he's asking for. So this is this is doable. This is not a daunting task. And then he started to talk about his own personal devotion life. And he mentioned how, like aside from research and, you know, the, the academic work of his position in his own personal devotion life, he had been he had spent a year. And I don't remember the exact chapter, but in one of the one, one of the chapters in the book of Psalm, wow. he spent an entire year wow. in just one chapter. <laughs> and we looked at him like, you know, with that side, <laughs> like we like cracked our heads to the side, like, seriously? And he like I remember he he talked about it with such passion and such vigor. He was like, imagine you walking the same path every day Mm. for a year he was like you would notice different details every day of the path and while the while the um you being able to walk the path and you knowing where to turn and where to go that that becomes more natural what you notice and what you pick up is going to be different the different seasons maybe maybe it's the weather whether it's other surroundings and the environment, like you're going to notice different details that you may not have noticed before. Mm. And he was like, and that's how I'm looking at this chapter. I see something different every time I encounter it. And it was just like, whoa, like you, you really are not reading this uh, with a surface level mentality. You are anticipating the vastness Mm. and the depth and the 
and the and the deepness of it all and you're approaching it with wonder and with mm. what you mentioned curiosity and so um to answer the question that i just posed to you i would i would second what you said that it's not just an academic pursuit it's this is it's the letter killeth right like this is an ancient text without holy spirit but it's beautiful and it's transformational and it's it it shifts worlds and mm. changes hearts and minds and it's a beautiful beautiful journey it's a beautiful narrative um but i think it should be done to your point in community and however we arrive at a place of finding delight in it i think we should pursue that wholeheartedly. Hmm. Thanks, Alex, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> this was a good conversation. Yay. You'll definitely be back. But in the meantime, we'll wrap it up. And um, I will see, virtually see, them next time. <laughs> and I'll see you later. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Faithful Reasoning Podcast. Before you go, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And for more information, you can visit my website at www.faithfulreasoning.com. If you are on Facebook and or Instagram, follow me at Faithful Reasoning. And if you have any questions and or comments, shoot an email to questions at faithfulreasoning.com. Chat with you soon.